0: This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Sal Palantonio of ESPN, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two podcast.
1: it's because it's not the last year and hallelujah. Happy New Year to everybody. It is my pleasure to say welcome to the first I Test for Two podcast of 2021. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're both Hall of Fame voters and we're joined today as we are always by our Hall of Fame producer Ian Glendon as well as two special guests. First of all, we have historian John Cherney, a pro football journal, longtime associate of ours, good friend of ours, and Hall of Fame finalist, Clay Matthews Jr. Um, And Ira, he's an interesting story because in his last year of eligibility, becomes a first time finalist. I really want to hear what he has to say. But before we get to them, Ira, I want to ask you about the Associated Press awards that we do every year. And we completed them this week. You completed your ballot. I completed mine. You vote on them. I vote on them. I think there's something like 50 people who uh, vote. Anyway, we submitted those votes this week. So let's go to just a few of the most noteworthy categories. And I want to make this fairly brief, but I want to start with Coach of the Year. Who do you got?
2: I got Brian Flores. Um, I, I, I I would have felt even stronger had he won the final game. He didn't. But 10 wins for the Miami Dolphins and the, the shape they were in when he came aboard, Clark, Brian Flores.
1: Okay. I got Kevin Stefanski, what he did with the Browns, changed the culture there, and he had more wins in one season, 11 than seven previous coaches had in their entire tenures with Cleveland. That's pretty amazing. Um, okay, Offensive Player of the Year. I think we probably have the same guy, but who do you have? I got Derrick Henry. I got Derrick Henry, Offensive Player of the
2: Year. Um, I thought he was a strong MVP candidate, Clark. Um, incredible year for Henry, average of point. 3, 5, 5. 4 yards to
1: carry. Incredible year from Henry. Historic. Historic. Yeah, exactly. And I'm with you on that. Uh, eighth player to rush for 2,000 yards in one season. The last guy, Ira, Adrian Peterson in 2012. So good that he won the MVP that year. Okay. Defensive player of the year. We may disagree here. I
2: got T.J. Watt. I got T.J. Watt. I just thought that uh, he was the driving force when Pittsburgh opened uh, 11-0 uh, incredible number of tackles behind the line of scrimmage, uh, just a force to be reckoned with. But if you gave it to Aaron Donald, I can't argue with you, Clark.
1: What do you got? You're not arguing with me then. I got Aaron Donald. <laughs> That's right. Just pencil him in every year. Aaron Donald gets double, triple teams, and yet he <laughs> <laughs> merges with all these uh, big numbers. But anyway. Okay, the last one. And I'm going to ask Ian on this one too, but I'm going to start with you, Ira. MVP. Who do you got? I went with the chalk.
2: I went with Aaron Rodgers. not Clark, let me say this. And he, backed me up. The Packers came into Tampa early in the season and led 10, nothing. And, you know, Rodgers was do- doing whatever he wanted to do. And then he threw a pick six and he ended up losing 38 to 10. So that was the bottom for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I never thought he'd be MVP uh, going, you know, from that point forward, but the guy's phenomenal clock. He just doesn't throw any interceptions. And um, he's a big, re- he's the big
1: reason why, uh, Green Bay is,
2: is, is uh, the top seed in the NFC.
1: Okay, Ian, before we get to you here, no Patriots are allowed, all right? No Patriots. So, what do you have? Um,
0: I don't even think I could make a case for any Patriot. And I, <laughs> trust me, <laughs> I I, I, I'm sure I could do a good job trying. Uh, I got to go with the chalk, too. I, uh, you know, if it w- weren't for that Saints game earlier in the season, I'd be fighting tooth and nail saying, no, Tom Brady's the most valuable player. And I, I could still make a good case, but. Aaron Rodgers is going to win the award. He's, he's been phenomenal this year. Just, just like Ira said,
1: and he's going to deserve it. But, uh, I really wish they didn't lose that game to the saints. Cause I <laughs> would have been fired up for this one. So, <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we're going to make it a hat trick here, guys. I've got Aaron Rodgers too. Interesting note on Aaron Rodgers. He had more touchdown passes this year, 48 than the Packers had punts. They punted 46 times. That's how that says it all. Clark, that says it all. Um, Okay, well, uh, I wanna say a little bit more here, Ira. I mentioned we have historian and good friend John Turney with us from Pro Football Journal, and we do. And he's gonna be here to talk about the 15 finalists announced Tuesday evening for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2021. And John's with us right now. John, thanks for joining us again. And the the first question I think I asked asked you last time when we were talking about semifinalists, but your reaction to a class that includes Peyton Manning, charles woodson and oh yes clay matthews jr as first-time finalists
0: well i think it's good uh, i i liked uh, probably 12 or 13 of the 15 there's a couple i could have lived without and a couple that uh wish would have made it but it, it'll all work out for the good uh, but yeah it's, a, it's an excellent final 15. what's your biggest surprise Well, one of the biggest surprises would be Jared Allen making it to the Final 15 on the first try. Uh, It's not that he's not worthy of being in the Final 15 and in the discussion, but to me, he's in the same category as a lot of blindside pass rushers in the past that never even got a sniff. Uh, Guys that had a 20-sack season and great seasons otherwise, guys like a Harvey Martin, guys like a Coy Bacon, guys like a Bubba Baker all have similar type careers in the 120s, 130s, maybe even a defensive player of the year, but they never made it to a final 15. So uh, the current voting body is very generous to blindside pass rushers. I'll put it that way.
2: John, I want to ask you about Calvin Johnson directly, John. Uh, and here's my question. Was his greatness to a degree that it overcomes all the questions, the short career, um, you know, not playing in postseason games, not having a signature moment. Uh, was he the best for three, four, five years, clearly? And should that uh, put him over the top in year one?
0: Well, in year one, maybe not. But yeah, I mean, he's right on the cusp of a, of a first ballot guy. Uh, the, except the difference with him playing nine years and somebody playing a shorter career and uh, what we, a lot of people who are in the researchers community, Pro Football Researchers Association, call the Gail Sayers exception to longevity is go, a lot of those guys get hurt and, and can't play anymore. Like Gail Sayers, like Terrell Davis, like Tony Buscelli, who's who's trying to get in, Dwight Stevenson was one of the recent notables that got in in 1998 but the, the argument against him was oh he didn't play so long but if, you know what can you do when they blow out your knee now guys who retire early are a little bit different because he had a lot of uh, gas left in the tank but in an era of concussions and things it's hard to blame people like that now, that's one of the reasons lynn swan walked away but it also took lynn Swan 14 i believe tries to get in the hall of fame so That's the question for the voters. Is he really first ballot when you walk away as opposed to getting injured? But as far as his peak
2: performance, absolutely. And one more from me, uh, Clark, right off the bat, a little selfish question to John. John, uh, I just got a call from uh, Canton. They want to make sure that I will be ready on the 19th to make presentations for Rondé Barber and John Lynch. I don't know if anybody else is making two presentations, but I am. So, John, you know I follow the Bucks very closely, and so do you. Um, in the grand scheme of the best defense of its era, of its era, and I don't think there's any question about that, seven years, eight years, whatever it was, in that grand scheme, who was more critical to the success of the Buck defense, Lynch or Barber?
0: Well, if you're going to put a, you know, I mean, this is a gun-to-your-head question, but I I think we spoke last time that I liked Rondé Barber in the sense that he was a, a you know, a cover two corner. He's a hard guy to, to find. He's somebody who showed up in the run game. We talked about that he had 63 stuffs behind the line of scrimmage uh, where he would come up in the run game or even in the pass game when they would throw a slip screen over there. 63... Stuff behind the line of scrimmage is, is three behind Warren Sapp's career in tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Then you throw in his 28 sacks, which I'm not even including that. So here's a cornerback with uh, ninety, what 93 or 91 plays behind the line of scrimmage. Nobody in the history of the game, no corner, has that many. Then you throw in his interceptions, and then the, how many times he scored on those interceptions and fumble recoveries. Uh, he had a more unique career, one that stands out more. John Lynch, we talked about was a hard hitter, the last of his kind, but he didn't have a lot of, uh, interceptions and a lot of folks might say, oh, he played in the box, but that's not always the case. You know, Tampa two means Tampa two. He played half the field. Uh, you're supposed to get a lot of interceptions when you're a half field safety. Yes, it's true. He did play in the box, but he played a lot back there and, uh, for a for a baseball outfielder which you know he was he didn't seem to have a lot of ball skills that's just me i could be wrong
1: so ira i'll be honest with you when you started to ask that question i thought you were going to say to john um listen i've got to make two presentations on january 19th would you join me (laughs) because i'm gonna need some help here could you Uh help me argue the lynch and barber cases
2: Clark, I'm, I'm going to give John Turney the Zoom link, and I, and I expect him on that phone
1: call. <laughs> <Yeah>. well, <laughs> you don't want him there when they were talking about John Lynch. Not after that, I don't think. <laughs> um, anyway, John, I, I asked you about your, your biggest surprise, so I'll go to the flip side. Your biggest disappointment.
0: Well, it's, it's we've talked about this before. It's Bryant Young. He's a guy whose who's numbers uh, compare favorably or right there with a contemporary defensive tackle, Warren Sapp, who we just talked about. Uh, I think he had a higher um, you know, um, work ethic than, than Warren Sapp. He stayed in shape. He also had to play a lot on the outside shoulder of the, of the center or the inside shoulder of a guard. He wasn't a pure three technique like Warren Sapp was, so he had a, a tougher road to hoe there, but he still put up similar or even better numbers when you talk about run stuff. He has a, oh uh, yeah, you know, has a Super Bowl ring like SAP, and uh, he grades higher according to uh, the scouting firms that, you know, the scouting firm that I kind of follow and and uh, take advice from, just like uh, Paul Zimmerman used to. So that was the biggest disappointment. The only silver lining to it, and we'll probably get to this, is I would hope that maybe Richard Seymour would get in the final ten again and uh, maybe get in that might clear the road for kind of these tough hard-nosed players to get
1: in and you get Seymour out of the way. Maybe that opens it up a little bit for Bryant Young next year. Yeah, I would hope so because I'm with you on that in terms of disappointments. But there's another guy that I, I was surprised and maybe shocked that he didn't make it. And that's friend of the show, Willie Anderson, right tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals, semifinalist for the first year this year. And I thought he had a lot of momentum coming to this, especially and Ira knows this. We got an email from a guy who would have presented him. Jeff Hobson was on the board quoting Michael Strahan. And there were great quotes, basically saying he was the best right tackle of his generation. And I really feared him when it went against him, he could do everything that surprised me. And it disappointed me because Cincinnati's got one guy, one guy in the pro football hall of fame, in 53 years, and that's Anthony Munoz. And I know people say, well, Terrell Owens played for him, Charlie Joyner played for him. Yeah, but they didn't spend the bulk of their careers with him. And so I look at, at at Willie Anderson, and I wonder, what, what's missing here? I, I don't know. Can, can you tell me?
0: No, I can't really tell you other than he – there's this uh, kind of perception that still lags from the 80s about the blind side kind of tackles, whereas in the, the – You know, late 90s, 2000, when when Willie Anderson played, that kind of went by the wayside because teams were playing a lot more three wide, uh, slot left, slot right. So you really weren't necessarily a a, a run blocking only type of tackle at that time. It it really wasn't a left and right tackle, and it's really not that way now as much you, you put good pass blockers on both sides, but Willie was a good run blocker and a great pass blocker as well. Didn't give up a lot of sacks. Didn't have a lot of holding penalties. He was a top-notch tackle. You, you could play him now, and he would be great. I just think that's a, a case of, uh, frankly, maybe ignorance by, by many on the, the voting committee, uh, the guy that just slips through the, the wayside. I think he's the most qualified Bengal out there. A lot of people talk about Ken Riley, but um, I know that the organization pushes him and loves him, but he just doesn't have
2: the bona fides to get into the Hall of Fame. Willie Anderson does. John, I want to ask you about a guy who's always found himself in the middle of the action, literally, figuratively. Zach Thomas. John, I watched the show on NFL Network yesterday, and Jimmy Johnson, um, I think basically you could sum it up that. Zach Thomas was maybe the favorite player that Jimmy Johnson ever coached. Uh, John, uh, supreme football intelligence, supreme preparation. Um, John, in evaluating Zach Thomas as a Hall of Fame candidate, is he a compiler? Uh, was he there getting 140 tackles a year, uh, five yards past the line of scrimmage? What, where do you rank Zach Thomas in this group?
0: Well, I'm of two minds. One is the way that he should get in is through film evaluation. I don't believe he was a compiler. Uh, At Pro Football Journal, we have a a young man that compiles the run past stuff. Really, it was his invention because he adds in past stuff. Because if there's a screen out to one side and somebody makes a tackle for a loss, we're the only ones that really count it. So Zach Thomas is one of the career leaders in tackles for loss, and a lot of those came on pass plays. He had 93 in his career. So he wasn't a guy that was making tackles three or four yards behind the line of scrimmage. He, I mean, uh, in front of the line of scrimmage, shall we say. He had plenty of tackles up there with guys like Mike Singletary and things like and players like that. Now, here's my problem with um, Zach Thomas's resume, from his whole career, starting in 83, all the way through a couple years ago, with a couple of years of conceptions, the Associated Press had two spots for middle linebackers. And imagine any other position that had double the positions. The, the idea was they were supposed to have one middle linebacker, one inside linebacker throughout that time because some teams played the 3-4, some teams the 4-3, but it was a 4-3 era, mostly when Zach played, and now it's kind of moved back to a hybrid and so forth. Anyway, he made AP All-Pro five times, but in all five times, he was the second leading vote-getter. Guys like Ray Lewis and other players were always the first, the guy getting the most votes. So in other words, if you had two centers on an All-Pro team, it would double the number of All-Pro centers, and there would be that were considered for the Hall of Fame, or can you imagine if there were four defensive ends or four defensive tackles, there'd be a lot more guys that you would call all pros. Uh, Zach never made a Pro Football Writers Association all-pro team because they just had one middle linebacker. So that's a negative in my eyes, but it's not a disqualifying negative. So the first part of your question is, yes, I think he's a solid candidate for the Hall of Fame. I don't think he was as good as, at his peak as uh, Patrick Willis. But with the 93 tackles and, and the forced fumbles and all the other things he did, sure, he deserves a good long look. And he's, you know, to me, a Hall of Famer uh, more than likely. Sorry
1: for the long explanation there. <laughs> I really love those long explanations. Um, so do I, because I, I'm going to move on to another linebacker, and that's Clay Matthews Jr. We've got him coming up on this show, as you heard, John. Where – where do you put him in this group? I mean, he's in the last year of eligibility, his 20th year, and it's his first time as a finalist. So the odds are really against him. Um, and I go back to 2018. Everson Walls did the same thing in his 20th year. First time as a finalist. He, he didn't make it didn't make the cut from 15 to 10. Um, same thing with Cliff Harris. Same thing happened with Rachel Wright. What do you make of, of, of Clay Matthews, uh, his career, his resume, and lastly, his chances of making it to the class of 2021?
0: Well, I think I'm a little more favorable on him than you might be, but you know the room better than I do. So you've got the insights that I don't have. He's another of those guys that has to be evaluated on film and not necessarily by his honors. You know, By honors, we're talking all pro, Pro Bowls all AFC selections. He didn't have a lot of those. But he also played in an era where sacks were rewarded. He played in the era with Andre Tippett and Kevin Green and Lawrence Taylor and Ricky Jackson. And he wasn't that kind of linebacker. He was a complete linebacker. He was a guy who played a lot in coverage. He was a guy who also did rush the passer, kind of from a defensive end position, in some years. In 84, he did it. 85, he did it. And then they kind of got away from it again and then in the, later in his career, he started becoming a nickel right end again. So it's bizarre in the sense how he was used. So the scouting, what I would call the scouting exception, the film exception. Uh, you know, we again go to Pro Scout Inc. And, uh, you know, Mike Giddings wrote a, pick the team, I guess, of the, the, the best players not in the Hall of Fame in his era, what he called the pro scout era. And what he told us was, here's a guy in 19 seasons and all the views they looked at it was never below red. So he was, in other words, he's saying he never had a bad game. Mm-hmm. Pro scouting never saw a bad game out of this guy. He was either blue or red, never the lower grades of purple or silver. So how amazing is that? Never a mm-hmm. bad view.
2: John, one more from me, John, uh, I'm going to ask you and I'll, Clark and I are in agreement on this. Um, John, a few years back, um, a guy came up before the hall and Clark and I both looked at each other and we said, this guy is the most unblemished candidate on the uh, on the list and, and maybe the most unblemished in years. And John, it took the guy three times to get in the hall because he played guard. And that, that was Will Shields. We just thought the guy was phenomenal, had an unbelievable resume. And yet it took him three, three cracks. John, here we are. Alan Fanica, uh, hard to find a blemish on this guy. Pittsburgh was a running team. I think he was the critical offensive lineman uh, for Bettis all those years and other running backs. And John, what what's going on with Alan Fanica and, and how disappointed would you be if he's turned away again? Well,
0: just as somebody who, who likes to, to, to try to guess or prognosticate, I predict he'll get in this year. Uh, My sense of it is is voters with their ballots try to split it around and try to be fair. They don't like to put in, if they don't have to, if it's not just clearly obvious, guys from the same team, which is why I think Leroy Butler is going to have to wait a year. you got Charles Woodson clogging it up. Also, I think they like to distribute the positions. So they're not going to put in three or four linemen, and, and they try to avoid putting in too many receivers or too many backs or too many quarterbacks. They don't necessarily have to, unless it's just blatantly right in your face. So I think Peyton Manning's a lock. I think Charles Woodson's a lock. I think Calvin Johnson, you know, is not a lock, but I think he's got a shot. I think the designated lineman is going to be Alan Sanica. My hope is that the fifth guy is going to be Richard Seymour. I am probably going to be disappointed. So, fennec i think is going to get in but as far as people that are going to wait you know there's been those anomalies you know there was somebody in the 90s that had to wait 10 times and he had a pretty unblemished career as well he was a five-time all pro as many as beacon jones he was called the best defensive lineman they ever faced by guys like dan Dierdorf, ron yeri rayfield Wright, and others he played in a super bowl on a broken leg on a play that was broken by um on a quadruple block by the tight end, blocked by the garden tackle. And when that was done, the, the fullback was waiting for him. And that was Jack Youngblood. He waited how many? had 150 sacks. I mean, why would a guy like that have to wait so long? Sometimes you just scratch your head.
1: And, and John, and, and, and just follow up on that. Johnny Robinson, he played that Super Bowl, I think, uh, against the Vikings with cracked ribs. He had to wait forever yeah. to get in. Forever to get in as a senior candidate. Yeah.
2: I just thought of another quick one. Clark, I got to run this past our man over here because uh, I've been railing about this guy. and John, it looks like he's never going to get in. Uh, his time has passed. He, he dropped off the face of the earth. He was in the room seven, eight years in a row, and he dropped off. And now he passed away, John. He's gone. And, and that guy's Bob Kuchenberg. And I thought he was a phenomenal player. Um Durability, unbelievable technique. Um, he certainly got Don Shula's, uh, uh, you know, permission and, and, and endorsement. And, um, John, what, what happened to Bob Kuchenberg's uh, nomination?
0: Well, I think a couple of things. One, people were looking only at the honors. Kind of like with Clay Matthews, he he was light on some honors, wasn't all pro a lot. He got beat out in the 70s by guards who were were prettier in how they played because they pulled a lot. Guys like a Gene Upshaw, who most guards, if you'll talk to the Joe DeLama Lears and the John Hannas will tell you uh, uh, that uh, Kuchenberg was a better guard. He pulled just as as well as Upshaw. But Upshaw was kind of, he looked like a great athlete, but uh, he just was not a hard player. Like Bob Kuchenberg, Kuchenberg played with a broken arm, played with a broken back. And the guys like DeLama Lear and uh, Hannah and other guards will tell you that Kuchenberg was the template. He was the prototype. He was the guy they watched. He was the best at uh, short setting. He was uh, great at trapping, probably the best trap blocker of that era. And he could pull. He could run for a guy who was not a super 6'4", 6'5", athlete like a Reggie McKenzie or uh, Gene Upshaw, guys like that. So what happened to him? Um, it was the honors. They, the, the voters just didn't want to listen to the scouts they wanted to, uh, or the players or the testimonials. They wanted to look at the honors. Uh, they don't watch, a lot of those guys don't watch the film. They just look, oh, he was only all pro a couple times, so therefore he's out. I think that's what happened.
1: John Turney, NFL historian with Pro Football Journal. We don't listen to the scouts either. We listen to you. Thanks so much for uh, talking to us. Thanks so thanks much. For talking. To the side, man. You got Bye. it. Next up, Hall of Fame finalist, Clay Matthews Jr., as you mentioned, a first-time finalist in his last year of eligibility. That's coming up right after this. It's a first third- Well, as we mentioned in the first half of this program, we're down to 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's Modern Era Class of 2021. Now included are six first-time finalists, including four in their first years of eligibility. You probably know who they are, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, and Jared Allen. And then there's one in his last year of eligibility, and that would be former Browns and Falcons linebacker. Clay Matthews Jr., who joins us now. And Clay, first of all, thanks for being with us. And second, congratulations. A long time coming.
3: Well, thank you. It, uh, y- You know, before I uh, became a football player, I was a fan of football and uh, grew up. My dad had played for the 49ers. I was a big 49er fan back then and always... Uh, you know, had a spot in my heart for the, uh, the players and the game. And, you know, just to be mentioned uh, with these people that I looked up to growing up, it, you know, as a Hall of Fame candidate is just incredible and uh,
1: very overwhelming,
3: very humbling.
1: Clay, how did you find out? How did you find out about this? Well,
3: I came in and David Baker, the head of uh, the NFL Hall of Fame I had left a message on my phone and I heard it and my temperature started going (laughs) up in a sense, you know, that, uh, wait, what's going on here? And uh, I was just delighted to hear that. And, uh, you know, um, just amazing. And like I said, it, I'm a fan of the game. I, uh, I, I remember uh, I don't want to, betray myself because I haven't liked the 49ers for the last uh, (laughs) 20-30 years since I (laughs) ended up playing against them but we went up, my dad took me up to see the uh, 49ers play the Packers in Green Bay this was the mid-60s and went up there and I got to go in the locker room and meet everybody and I remember the 49ers lost that day and I cried (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) later on I
1: I would cry with happiness when they'd lose (laughs) but that's neither here nor there yeah well, as I mentioned it's your twentieth year of eligibility and and you've never been a finalist before i don't know whether you're quiet or not, but had you given up hope at this juncture
3: no it uh you you know it's kind of an interesting thing. My daughter has been really instrumental in this, and she came to me uh several years ago and she said, "Dad, i really you know based on your body of work, I really think you should be in the uh you know the pro football hall of fame and i'd like to do the work to get you there and i said you know you (sighs) i just don't feel comfortable you doing that and she said well let me try it so she started you know working on it and getting the word out and what i had done and all of a sudden it you know we started to get a little traction and i uh So I went to her and I go, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with this. I go, I'd like for you to stop. So she said, let me think about it. So she comes back the next day and says, dad, I'm going to, for the first time I'm going to willingly disobey you. (laughs) So she's, you know, she's done a great job uh, getting what I've, what I've done and historically and, you know, my history out there and, it's it, I've enjoyed it all. And um, and again, you know, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm a big fan of the game. I'm a big fan of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And for me to be, you know, in these final 15 is just uh, it's delightful. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it.
1: Well, Clay, I've got a teenage daughter. I can't believe that's the first time she willingly disobeyed
3: you. <laughs> well, it's the first time she told me she <laughs> oh, willingly no. disobeyed okay. me, to well, my face. Um, <laughs>
2: Clark, uh, that, that's the most shocking line we've heard on this podcast so far. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> uh, Clay, uh, oh. greetings from Tampa, Florida. Mr. Matthews, congratulations, young man. Oh, um, thank you. Yes. And Now, Clark, this is a tough one, but in a couple of weeks there's going to be a presenter for Clay Matthews and he's going to have about six minutes to sum up a very accomplished 19 year career. Clay, um, give me one or two points that, that you think should come through very strong in summing up um, why, why you should walk through those doors of Canton. I know it's not easy to talk about yourself, Clay, but, one or, one or two points you, you, you think need to be made?
3: Well, I, gosh, that is a little uncomfortable, but I, you know, I think if you looked, if you look at the breadth of the work that I did, I came in, in a, at a time when outside linebackers were not used to rush the passer and, I can remember covering backs out of the backfield specifically i remember don mccauley uh from the colts was a tremendous talent at coming out of the backfield and i did that for about uh 11 12 years then i moved in or i moved out and became an edge rusher and then i think let me see. They took me, they were, we were, uh, I was a right outside linebacker and then they moved me to left outside linebacker. And then, uh, later on in my career, I played inside linebacker. So it, uh, down on the goal line, I was a cornerback. <laughs> so I, you know, over 19 years, I, if you, uh, you know, if you had a, a need, uh they could move me in there and generally i'd like to think that uh i held my own or more than held my own with all those different jobs you know clay
2: um how how good were some of those cleveland teams i mean i think they're forgotten uh you know in in, in history with 86 and 87 the way the thing ended but you're facing a hall of fame you know quarterback over there clay and you know, Marty, uh, he got everything, you know, clicking with Kosar and a very good defense. And, you know, how proud are you of, of some of those Browns teams? They, you know, Cleveland's, uh,
3: it, it seems like historically they've had more people moving out than moving in, you know, whereas a lot of the Sunbelt areas were growing communities. Yep. So the folks in Cleveland, if they were there, it was generally, you know, cause they wanted to be there and it, uh, they love the team and it, it's really a tight community. You know, it, it was a top 10 city. I think it's uh, more than slipped out of the top 10 now population wise, but the folks there just love the team. And, you know, you, you could go out you're getting gas in the car you're at the grocery store and people would come up to you they were very respectful and but they knew who you were in the community and you know it was a small community and you felt for folks i remember when the uh the the team left to go to baltimore i really didn't think about the team moving i thought about all those people in cleveland and uh you know, how they had put their heart and soul into following that team. And they've continued to do that even as the Browns have come back, you know, and what are we, we're coming up on, is it 20 years or 18 years since they were in the playoffs?
1: 18 18 years. 18 years.
3: Yeah. So it, uh, it just feel good for the folks. They really do support that franchise back there.
1: We're speaking with Hall of Fame finalist Clay Matthews Jr. on the I test for two. And and Clay, I wanna sort of follow in what Ira was talking about, um, because when there's a presentation, and I would guess it's going to be either Mary Kay Cabot or Tony Gross, and maybe both who make the presentation on your behalf, they're gonna to have to go over the highlights of your career. But we've looked at it. Uh 19 years, um, you, you had close to 300 games that you played, over 1500 tackles. You named a multiple all pro and pro bowl teams. And of course, you're a member of the Browns Ring of Honor. And I think to the best of my knowledge, you're the first person named to the Ring of Honor who is not first named to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. My question to you is, of all those accolades and honors, which one is are you the most proud of? Which one means the most to you? Oh, well, but
3: honors are kind of a, <laughs> uh, a mixed bag. And I i just you know i'm proud of the body of work and i'm proud of the experience i had and really you know if people are talking about a hall of fame and being in a hall of fame it i have a hall of fame of 19 uh, years of memories which you know are just incredible and um you know i somebody had asked me about one play and I can almost remember the temperature and where the sun was. And mm. you, you, know, it, uh, you just remember those things. And, uh, I, 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 you know, actually we're sitting here and, and, you know, I'm in the, the top 15, which is just wonderful. And, uh, I just think about all those memories I've had, uh, you know, on the field plays and a lot of off the field stuff, especially, you know, working with teammates to sacrifice and try to win a championship. And, you know, it's just, it's a great thing. I look at that and I look at those memories and then, you know, I, the plays were fun. I enjoyed making plays and uh, it's just good stuff. It's all good
1: stuff. In the first half of the show, we were speaking to a historian, John Turney, who's a friend of the show. And, and we were talking about your, your candidacy. And he said he was, referring to a scouting service from those days. And I think particularly it probably was Mike Giddings' scouting service because Mike was doing a lot of stuff um, that we were all um, looking at at that time. But he said that scouting service, whichever it was, he didn't name it specifically, but he said in 19 seasons, he had you marked either blue or red. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, I'll tell you what it means. What it means is Clay Matthews did not have, one bad game in the eyes of those scouts, not one. He said, that's extraordinary. This was a complete linebacker. And you addressed it earlier. the outside, you were uh, rushing the pass, you were covering backs, you were doing everything. And he said, the problem is that somehow he got lost in this mix of people who fell in love with sacks and, and it wasn't a sack era. He, just, he, was, he was covering yeah. backs. So anyway, he said you didn't have a bad game. In your mind, did you ever have a bad game?
3: Uh, I tried not to.
0: <laughs>
1: I,
3: like I said, I, uh, or, uh, one of the things, I, I really enjoyed playing the game. And that's something that, you know, every. I think a lot of players like the game, the things that come with the game, you know. But over time, it's a very hard game to play. And, for those 19 years, I really enjoyed the competition. I enjoyed getting better. I enjoyed doing different things, you know. And it, uh, um,
2: I, the memories just are all good. Hey, one more, one more for me, Clay. First of all, you cannot believe you got a 34-year-old kid. You cannot believe that, uh, Clay. <laughs> Um, but speaking, uh, about, uh, your, your wonderful son, um, he had one heck of a career clay. He did. Mean, let's be honest. Um, he finished with 20 more sacks than his old man, which, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you gotta be proud of. And, uh, clay, I guess you were two different type of players in terms of different roles. I think he got to rush the passer more, uh, clay, yes. but how do you, how do you look back at the career of your son? Oh, it was
3: fantastic. You know, and especially the way that it came about, he was, he was a late bloomer, which I was also, and he had, uh, you know, he did not have any scholarship offers coming out of, uh, high school. And he walked on at SC NS at SC in the height of the Pete Carroll era there when they were just loaded with talent. And, I remember thinking, gosh, it's going to be tough to get to play. And he said, no, nah, I think I can go down there and compete. And he went down there and uh, first year, you know, he didn't play at all. And then the second year they start, they put him in on special teams and then they started him off on one special team. And then he went to, you know, he ended up on all of them. Then the next year they started putting him in and he, all he did was make plays and then the next year, it wasn't until the fifth game of his fifth year that they finally started him. And he ended up being a first-round pick that year. And then he hit the uh, hit the NFL, hit the ground running in the NFL. 91 so, and a half
2: sacks, uh, Clay. Not too shabby.
3: No, not bad at all. Incidentally, I have more sacks in that, but they didn't count them before 82, I That's believe.
1: Right. Right. No, well said, my man. Well you're said. Correct. Yeah, you're correct. You're correct. <laughs> um, I got a couple last ones, Clay. I guess the first one I'd ask you is who is your toughest adversary? was the toughest guy for you to cover or bring down?
3: Uh, It was the running back that was drafted number one in 1978 from Texas, uh, Earl Campbell. He, uh, that was a man who would, you know, I think it behooves running backs to avoid guys, but he would go, he'd look you up and find you if he was coming through there. and. I don't want to say fortunately, because he took a lot of abuse, but fortunately he slowed down pretty quick. And uh, I was in the same division as him. Right, uh, that's right. We played twice a year and, you know, you didn't want, Earl, uh, Earl Campbell had uh, uh, embarrassed several people and you, did, you didn't want to get <laughs> embarrassed by him if he ran you over. And I think I managed to hold on enough that I didn't
1: (laughs) you're one of the few one of the very few And, and and lastly I go back to what you said earlier but we had mentioned about or you had mentioned Cleveland and the Browns and what they're doing this year the first time they've been in the playoffs since 2002 how much pleasure do you take in that and do you find yourself now going I'm hoping for a Browns maybe Browns Packers Super Bowl
3: oh absolutely it uh and it you know, I haven't been able to follow them for two reasons. Number one, my son's been in the league and I had another one who played and number two, quite frankly, they didn't give a good product for a while. Right. You know, it was tough to watch. And now not only, you know, they're winning, which is good, but they're also, um, the, the way the team grinds there, it, you know, they're, they've been put together now and, uh, Coach Stepanski has come in there, and uh, and and it just looks like they're geared up to where they can compete, you know, for the next three or four years. And that's, you know, they're they're they've become consummate grinders now, which is what you have to be to make it through to the
1: end. Yeah, they could use you this weekend, in Pittsburgh. I don't know if I can help them that much. <laughs> if they ran a play.
3: If Pittsburgh ran a play to the right, I could uh, line up it right outside <laughs> linebacker. They're right away from me and probably get one play. Clay
1: Matthews, thanks so much for the time and best of luck with the next vote. Really appreciate it. Thank all you. Right. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. That was all the finalists, Clay Matthews Jr. and Ira. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I love what's going on with him. You know, uh, uh, last year of eligibility, first time finalists. I hope he has more luck than Everson Wallace did 2018. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I'm so glad that at least his case is being argued. And, and you know,
2: when I think of Clay Matthews Clark and his Hall of Fame candidacy, I think of a two-word definition of a Hall of Famer. Sustained excellence.
1: Whoa, when I hear that error, I go, I know what's up next. It may be a new year. But you know what that new means, Ira? What it meant is that last year, well, maybe the year you were there, It's time for our I Was There segment. So, Ira, I don't know what year it was. I don't know where you were. Where are we going today?
2: It was 2002 Buck Championship season. I'm working for the Tampa Tribune, Clark. And they send me to the frozen tundra (laughs) to scout a potential playoff opponent for the 2002 Bucks. So here we are, January 4th, 2003. The heavily favored Green Bay Packers, 12 and 4. Red Favre, right? Red Favre at the helm against the upstart Falcons, 9, 6 and 1, with a second year quarterback named Michael Vick, who really hasn't really hit his stride yet until Clark, a wintry night at Lambeau Field. Snow falling at halftime. By the time the snow started falling, and I'm in that, you know, frozen press box. They're down 24 to nothing, Green Bay. The Falcons absolutely dominated. The Packers turned the ball over five times. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And the Falcons had an easy victory, went on, and I believe they lost at Philly the next week, Clark. But I'll say this. It was the first home playoff loss in Packers history. They were 13 and oh, it had never happened. And people started leaving the field with about six minutes left. That doesn't happen in Green Bay in a playoff game. And it was a coronation for Michael Vick. It was a taste of what was to come. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I was getting cold just listening to you,
1: (laughs) IRA. Come on down to Tampa. I'll warm you you up. All right. Okay. Final thoughts, IRA.
2: All right, look, the, the story that's been in the news all week, Clark, I want you to weigh in a little bit too. Is You're talking about the Georgia what ha-
1: election? Was that what you're talking
2: about? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that thing's over, baby. That's but what, ha- what happened in Philly Sunday Sunday night? Um, I think it was a matter of lousy timing by Pedersen more than the decision itself. If he brings the kid in early second quarter, gives him a couple of series, nobody says anything. But with the game on the line, Clark, and here's my point, he's got a lot of mending to do with some veteran players, right? And he better do it because if he lets this thing fester, that's
1: a problem going into next season. Yeah, no, I agree with you a hundred percent. I'm going to go off the rails a little bit here. And I'm going to mention something that's apart from football, that this Friday is the last jeopardy with Alex Trebek, who passed away last November. I'm going to watch it. I don't know if you'll watch it, but um, I think Aaron Rodgers was dead on when he said at his passing the day after, I think, weeknights, will never be the same. And he's right. Anyway, um, Ira, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. At I, Kaufman 76 sir. Ian. At I-G-L-E-N 31. Okay, and I'm at Clark Judge TOF. And we don't hear from you there. You're going to hear from us next week, right here on the iTest for Two. Thanks for listening.